Does that get you going or what? Have mercy. I hardly can contain myself when that thing gets going. Well, it is good to be able to worship the Lord together, and we're grateful for uh, the time that we've had together this morning already. Thankful for our praise team. We praise the Lord for bringing us right to the throne of grace. Amen? We are grateful for that. Well, we've been going through, last week we started a series called Disciple You. So Discipleship University. And so we're looking at what does it look like to be a disciple. Well, I want to share with you all something that happened to me this week. Um, It's a confession of sorts, but uh, uh, we went this week, I had a phone call. Well, actually a few weeks ago I had a phone call from a fella who, uh, his name who is uh, David Anderson, who works with the... um, Capital Commission. He's sort of like a chaplain for our legislators at the state capitol, and he wanted to get together and take me out to lunch and, and uh, talk about his ministry and what God was doing through the different legislation of, of uh, ministry to, to legislators. And so I said, yeah, let's do that. So uh, he picked me up one day this week, and uh, uh, we went to Ruby Tuesdays. You all know Ruby Tuesdays. Got a great uh, salad bar, trying to be good, stay away from the pie. And uh, so went and had the salad bar and was eating that and sat down and uh, talk, man, we were talking and talking, and, and he was sharing about what uh, ministry that they were doing and how God was working in some marvelous ways, and he asked about Mount Pleasant. I was able to share, you know, what God was doing here. We just enjoyed our time together. I said, hey, brother, I got to roll because I got another appointment here in just a few minutes. So he said, all right. So we got up, and we went, went on out to the car, and we got in the car, and we drove over, came up to the church here, pulled under the, the portico here, and I was getting ready to say to him, hey, brother, thank you for my lunch. And I said, brother, we didn't pay for our lunch. (laughs) He said, I've never done that in my entire life. I said, neither have I. He said, I'm going right back right now and pay them. I said, all right. So I went inside and had my meeting, and then right at that meeting, I called over to Ruby Tuesday. I said, hey, there was a man who was a, had a suit on. He was supposed to have come in and pay. I just make sure he pays. Said, oh, yeah, he came in, and he paid. I said, great. want to make sure we're good to go uh, here. He said, we got a good laugh on it. The server said that when you guys left, after about, she said, don't worry. They'll be back in about five minutes. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm glad we don't look like the kind that doesn't eat and run. Uh, but I just want to make sure if you go on Ruby Tuesday and you see a wanted picture and my, my face is up there, please let me know, all right? But boy, I'm telling you, just a weird feeling about that, you know? So you have this thing of pain and not pain, and we come to today's topic of the cost, how appropriate this would happen to me this week. And in reality, today we're looking at the topic of choosing to pay the cost, Amen? Choosing to pay the cost. Do I pay or not pay the full cost, not of how much it costs at Ruby Tuesdays, but do I pay the full cost of discipleship? Now, Jesus is going to tell us here in a few minutes as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 14 to count the cost. And so reality as disciples, we really only have one choice. But I'm uncertain if people who claim to be followers of Jesus have really made that choice and follow him completely. Or maybe they're not really sure what the bill looks like. But Jesus clearly spells it out in our scripture today. And so we need to decide today to count the cost and then also realize that, beloved, he is worth the cost. Amen? He is worth the cost. So in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you would stand with me as I read for you Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. 
Luke 14, verses 25 through, 30, through 35, rather. 25 through 35. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, that's Jesus, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Oh, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first to consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land or for the dunghill, but men throw it out. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would use our time together. Lord, that we would not be distracted by the things that are around us, the things that are outside, or things that are weighing upon us for later. Lord, that we would hear from you now. Father, thank you for our time of worship this morning, bringing us right to the place where we are ready to hear from you. We pray, Lord, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, draw us in to know, Lord, what we need to know, to hear from you, to sense your presence in our own heart, in our own life, that, Lord, you would grab hold and grasp that in us that we need to understand. Father, I'm your servant today, your instrument, your vessel. I pray you'd use me uh, to be able to proclaim this word faithfully. I pray, Lord, that if there are those here today that don't know Jesus, that this would be that moment of salvation. And those of us who claim to know you, Father, may be a time of evaluation examination and investigation in our own hearts and our lives to see if we truly are those disciples you've called us to be. Lord, may you have your way in every heart and every life, and I pray, Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You see the outline for today's message in your bulletin. And the first thing that we want to see here really in this passage of Scripture is that we want to see that there is a mistaken status. A mistaken status. Now, if you look at verse 25, you find that we come to this passage and it says simply as it is giving the background of what is about to take place, it says that the, now great multitudes went with him, went with Jesus. Great multitudes are coming with Jesus. And as he's coming along, he turns, or they come along, he turns, and he says to them, and he begins to speak to them about this cost of discipleship. But we want to look first off here at just how the multitudes are following Jesus. The multitudes went with Jesus. Now, why, why do we see that this is different maybe than the, those who are with him at the end? Here it's a bunch of people, a lot of people who are following after Jesus. Why are these multitudes coming after Jesus, following Jesus, who are with him? Well, maybe they thought that they were genuine disciples. Maybe they thought that they were real followers, but Jesus knows their heart. Jesus knows their hearts. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. Jesus knows 
otherwise here. So what is it then that they're looking for? There, here's this, you can just imagine this great crowd of people, and Jesus is in front of them. And so Jesus, knowing their hearts, he begins to turn and speak to them. But before we get to that, we find that what is it about this crowd that's following Jesus? What are they looking for? Maybe they're thinking to themselves, I'm going to stick with Jesus because I like his teaching. Well, he, can, he really speaks with authority, and I like to hear his insight on what the, Old Te- what the Scriptures say for them, would have been the Old Testament, what the Scriptures say to them. So I like his teaching, so I'm going to follow him. Or maybe they would say, you know, I like his politics. You know, this, this guy, Jesus, he, he's really going places. I like this Jesus. I think I'll follow him because he really looks out for the little guy. Well, he can really give it to those Pharisees sometimes. So I just like to see that happen. And so I want to follow Jesus as he gives us teaching and looks out for us. Or maybe there are those who are following Jesus because, you know, every once in a while he would break some bread and he would break some, some, uh, some fish in two and he would feed a lot of people. So maybe they were thinking as they were moving along, I'm going to follow Jesus because he's got a free meal and I might be able to get something from him. Or maybe I'm going to follow Jesus because, you know, then that day they didn't have the Disney Channel or they didn't have a Turner Classic Movies or whatever it is that you watch, ESPN. And so they see Jesus and every once in a while he's able to do these miracles and so that's entertainment. And so I'm going to follow Jesus because he might do something really interesting today and I want to see what he's going to do. You see, friends, these people may have been with Jesus and even followed Jesus and followed him around, but they were not his disciples. Mistaken status. I wonder, friends, listen, I wonder today how many think that they are followers of Jesus and are his disciples, but they also have a mistaken status. I wonder today how many people who are followers simply because they like what he says. There are people who are, who are followers because they feel that he's important. They are followers because they they say, well, he gives me what I need when I need it. They follow with Jesus because they say, well, I can can get a good charge by watching him do something in in church. But in reality, you know, I like to watch these things happen, but, you know, Pastor, I, I don't want to be his disciple. I just like to be around him, see what's happening, what he's doing in other people's lives. But hey, me and Jesus, we got this thing going on. He certainly understands me. I I came forward. I prayed a prayer. I was baptized. My name's in the church books after all. I'm here on Sunday, and hey, I have even done some pretty good stuff for this Jesus. We have to be very careful, friends, of our mistaken status because Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see, friends, too often I am afraid that people have placed their hope in a one-time act of praying a prayer and a lifetime of being nice, but really have not sought to follow Jesus, genuinely follow Jesus as a disciple because it costs too much. It costs too much. There's a mistaken status. But you see, friends, Jesus knows the hearts of these people. And Jesus knows our hearts as well. And here is this passage. And as Jesus, as he is speaking to these people, he's doing something here. 
This great multitude of people are following. And you can just in your mind's eye, you can see this great multitude of people are following. And Jesus out front. And he's walking along. And, and they're just following along. And Jesus turns and speaks to them now about what we're getting ready to talk about. And what he is doing, as we will find, as someone said to me this week, it's in this passage is Jesus is sharpening the fence post. He's sharpening the fence post because here's the thing. You cannot sit on the fence and be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Are y'all with me this morning? Are y'all sure you're with me? I'm not sure you'd say amen. All right, you're getting better. We'll get work on that a little bit more, all right? You cannot sit on the fence and be a true disciple of Jesus. And he is telling the multitude what it means to be a disciple. So just what is the cost? Just what is this cost? What we see in this passage of Scripture, next what we find is that he is saying to make sure. And the first thing that we find here in these next couple of verses, verse verse 26 anyway, is to make sure of your affections. Make sure of your affections. Now in verse 26 he says, If anyone comes to me, now watch this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Man, pastor, that is harsh. Jesus says if you do not hate your father and mother, wife and children, brothers, even your own life, you cannot be his disciples. Well, what Jesus is doing here, this is what's known as hyperbole. It's It's an obvious exaggeration to make a point. So what Jesus is really saying here, he's saying, make sure, look, all you folks who are following me, you need to make sure of your affections. Love Jesus, loving him. He's saying, you need to love me, have a love for me that is so complete, that is so devoted, that is so full and so passionate that their love for family members and for life itself would pale in comparison to the point of it even looking like hatred. Now, you say, well, I'm not sure I can handle that. Well, here's a little bit more of a clarification where Jesus says the same thing, but a little bit clearer in Matthew 10, verse 37 and 38. He says it this way. He who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You see, yes, we must love our family, and we must love, but we must also love the Lord more. Amen? You're supposed to love your wife. You're supposed to love your children. You're supposed to love your husband. You're supposed to love your parents, love your family, but you're to love the Lord more. That's what he's talking about here. And even then, he says, you love yourself. Yes, and your own life also. You love, you to, yes, you love yourself, but you're to love him more than yourself. I don't really love myself. Oh, I bet you do. You all, everybody's, you know, we love ourselves so much that we don't want pain. We don't like to be discomforted. We don't like to be isolated. We, we don't like some of those things that cause us difficulty. So we love ourselves. You look out for yourself. You do what self wants. You feed the desire of self, and you protect self at all costs. And what Jesus is saying is, is that yes, you love self, but you need to love me more than you love yourself. 
And yes, you are to love your family, but you're to love me more than you love your family. That's what he's saying. Make sure of your affections, that your love for Jesus must be so strong. Listen, your love for Jesus must be so strong that all other love for family or even yourself does not even begin to compare. So then what is the measure of your devotion? Do you really? Listen, do you really love him above everyone and everything else? Or is that cost too much for you? Count the cost, he says. Count the cost. Now, I love a little story about a little girl one time was kneeling by her bed for her goodnight prayers and her mother was beside her as mother sometimes sometimes do was suggesting to her maybe what she could pray what she could give thanks for she said well sugar she's talking to the little girl she says won't you ask the Lord Jesus to help you to love him more and the child lifted her head and there was a puzzled look on her face and she said well what's what is it dear and she said did you say for me mama to ask for Jesus to help me to love him more and she said well yes my darling she said but But mama, how can I love Jesus more for I am just crazy about him now? So friends, listen, brothers and sisters, here's the question. Are you crazy about Jesus now? Make sure of your affections. But then also Jesus then goes further in speaking to the multitudes to make sure In this counting the cost, he says, make sure of your affections. And the next thing he says is, make sure of your all in. Make sure of your all in. In verse 27, he says, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus speaking to this great multitude of people, look, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, we've, maybe some of us have, have been Christians, have been in a Christian home most all of our life, and we've heard about the cross over and over again so that it does not quite as have the effect sometimes as it should on us. But the disciples, when they, the multitudes, when they heard that Jesus is saying that, look, you've got to take up your cross and follow me, they knew exactly what Jesus was speaking about. You see, the cross, my friends, in that day certainly represented the worst torture, the Roman torture and physical abuse and death that was known to mankind. And Jesus is saying to them, look, to come after me and be my disciple, you must bear my cross. You must bear the cross and come after me. So what Jesus is saying to them, he is saying, look, this is not going to be a Sunday afternoon picnic to be my disciple. He's saying this is going to be serious as you follow me. And he is saying that he's letting them know that they may be subject to persecution. They may be subject to suffering and death for following him. He is saying, count the cost to be a disciple, friends. Listen, he is saying, we need to be all in. So here's the question. Does he have your all in? Are you willing to pay the full price of discipleship? Or does it cost too much? You see, Jesus illustrates there in verses 28, 29, and 30. He goes further. He says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? 
lest after he's laid the foundation is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. He is saying, saying, look, he's saying, Before you follow me, speaking to the multitudes and all the people, he said, Before you follow me, you need to answer the question, What is it going to cost? That's a good question to ask. My girls informed me yesterday that they needed to go buy some shirts. I said, I asked them a question. Do you know what that question is? What is it going to cost? Y'all ever asked that question before? Say amen. You know what I'm talking about. Especially if you've got teenagers, you know what that is. All right? But here, he's saying to the disciples, you need to ask, what is it going to cost to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And here's the answer to the question, what's it going to cost? Everything. What, pastor? Everything. This is what it costs to follow Jesus as a true disciple. It will cost you everything. So he's saying to the disciples, to the multitude, to be my disciple, make sure of your all in. Do you have what it takes to be my disciple? Will you make that commitment? He is saying to them, are you all in? You need to make a decision. I'm going to be all in because there's, there, there cannot be this half-heartedness in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness there? Amen? Amen. There, there, you're all in. There is no room for this half-heartedness as a disciple of Jesus. So in, in being all in, am I willing to say to the Lord that there is nothing more important to me than following Jesus? My all-in is saying that my yes is on the table for him. Being all-in for Jesus is that you're saying to Jesus, Lord Jesus, my life is a blank check, Lord. You fill in the blanks. I am yours. That's all-in. It's saying I am all-in for you. I will not live this life of a disciple halfway, but rather you have my whole heart. You have my whole life. You have my all. That's what Jesus is saying to count the cost because this is what it is to be a true disciple of his. You think about the Apostle Paul. Think about him as he was Saul, the murderous Saul, who was after those Christians and he was, he had it going on for him. This man was the Jew among Jews. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He had power. He had prestige. He had popularity. People knew who he was. But then something got a hold to Paul, and that something was a someone, and his name was Jesus on the Damascus Road. And this Jesus changed that Saul into the Apostle Paul and transformed him from the inside out. And so now this Paul who had it all going for him, who had all the power and all the prestige and the name recognition among many, many people, he now says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, 8, he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He's counted the cost. He says, Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. All the things of this world that I think are so important are nothing to me, and I am all in for him. He, I have gain in Christ. Everything that I think is so important is nothing 
but Jesus is my everything. Amen? Amen. All in. When you look back at Jesus' illustration here in our passage of Scripture, we think about the builder as he uses this illustration about the builder. So if the builder did not count the cost and did not go all in, Jesus said he'd have half of a building. And it would cause people to ridicule and mock him. And so if you think about it in your own mind, and say that somebody tore down one of the houses here on the corner or something and they began to build a building. And we're looking and we're watching this building go up day after day after day. And then all of a sudden we realize that they've quit. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. It's got sort of a half a roof. Maybe the sidewalk's sort of halfway done. There's piles of dirt there. And we hear that they've called it quits because they didn't have enough money. They decided that they just wouldn't uh, finish the building. And we'd stand back and we'd look at that building and say, man, that is just the craziest thing you've ever seen in your life. Who doesn't count the cost first? Amen? Who doesn't think about how much this is going to cost them before they get busy with it? And so we would look at that and we'd think, man, who planned or who did not plan this? How, how crazy, how foolish is this? And we'd even look and say, you know, that is just a waste. It's a waste. I mean, what do you do with a half of a building? What use is that? So, friends, listen, Jesus has called us to be all in and not halfway there. Amen? That's what he's called us to do, to be all in. Count the cost. And so let me ask you this morning, if, if right now, if right now, if you were standing before Jesus right now, at this very moment, if right now you were standing before Jesus and His holiness, as holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who is, who is to come, and you were to stand before him in all of his glory right now, would you be willing to say to him, Lord Jesus, I have been all in with no regrets. As a disciple of yours, Jesus, I have been all in with no regrets. Nothing Jesus, as I stand before you, nothing has been more important to me than following you. He knows our hearts, right? Or would we look at our lives and would we think, Oh my, what a waste. I've wasted my energy on the wrong things. I've wasted my resources in the wrong places. I've wasted so many days doing things that really do not matter. I've gotten upset about this and about that, when in reality, it's not what Jesus has called me to do. Would we have that in our hearts and minds, saying, why haven't I gone all in for him? Jesus is saying, friends, look, to follow him as a true disciple, make sure of your affections, loving him more than anything else or anyone else, and make sure of your all in. And then thirdly, he says, make sure of your abandonment. By the way, this does not get easier as we move through this passage of Scripture. Have you noticed that? You're feeling the pinch just a little bit this morning? I mean, I certainly felt it as I worked on it this week as well, to work on it this morning. Make sure of your abandonment. So here's another illustration that Jesus gives of real discipleship. Look at verses 31 through 33. He says, Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him 
who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation as conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So Jesus gives this illustration. Of a, in your mind, you can think about someone who maybe sees this kingdom over here and he thinks, you know what, I got this. Let's get our guys together. We can, we, can, we can bring down that empire over there. We can bring down that country. So I'm going to get my people together. We're going to get our, our armies, and we're heading over, and we're going over. We're going to let this king know we, got, we are coming after you. But then on the way, he realizes somehow, some way, that the, the kingdom over there, the empire, that they, they got armies, and not only do they have armies, they've got twice as many as what you do. Okay, now what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? Because the king knows I'm coming. So what am I going to do? So what Jesus is saying is that he needs to think through this and he needs to have complete surrender, abandoning his plans, abandoning his life, and abandoning his, his thoughts on this and completely surrender to that king. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a small king and kingdom and you're going against a larger king and kingdom and you're getting ready to go and you're going to surrender, are you going to go to that king and you're going to say to him, hey... Mr. King, I'm going to surrender to you, but here are my demands. I don't think it's going to work that way to you. No, he's got more people than you do. He's got a bigger army. And so you're going to go to him, and you're not going to say, here are my demands. You're not going to say to him, hey, you know, as I'm coming to you, I'm surrendering to you, but I really want you to show me some special favors, all right? No, that's not going to happen either. No, what's going to happen, and what happens, and Jesus is speaking to this here, is as as we're coming to a greater king... We're coming to him and we're saying to him, King Jesus, I humble myself before you. And I am absolutely surrendering my life before you. That I am humbling myself before you. And I am abandoning my plans for myself to what you want me to do. Complete surrender. This is what discipleship is. It involves humbling ourselves being completely surrendered to our King Jesus, making no demands about what we want or what we think we deserve. You know, but aren't we good about that? We'll pray and we'll say, Lord, here's my plan. Here's my plan, Lord, so would you bless this? Lord, here's what my thinking is, and so if you would just give me a good day and make this happen over here for me, this is my idea. No. The Lord says, he's teaching us that we are to completely abandon my life for his his life. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing in us that he does not know or does not own. We are absolutely yielding to him because we now belong to this king, King Jesus. Brothers and sisters, listen. As true disciples, we are not our own. We're not our own. You see, our possessions are not ours. You may think they are, but they're not ours. They belong to him. Our pocketbooks are not ours. You may think they are, but they're not. They belong to him. Our positions are not ours. They belong to him. This place of worship is not ours. It belongs to him. The pew in which you're sitting, uh uh-oh, oh yes. The pew in which we're sitting, it doesn't belong to you. It's not ours. It belongs to him, amen? Our pleasure, our comfort is not ours. It belongs to him. Our preferences are not ours. They belong to him. 
Our power, listen, the very power that we have to work, to live, and to breathe is not ours. It all belongs to him. Every part of our life is not ours. It all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. And so he says in verse 33, So likewise, if you does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciple. To forsake all. Forsaking all. What does that look like? That's saying, all that is mine is yours, Lord. It's saying, all that I am is yours. All that I cling to is yours, Lord. It's saying, I am completely abandoned to you, Lord Jesus. It is saying, I yield my will to your will, Lord Jesus. It is saying, whatever you command... I will do. So when he says, okay, you need to fully forgive other people, then you need to say, Lord, that's kind of hard, but you're commanding me, and you're going to help me to do that, so I will do it. When he says to you, you need to love those sinners, love people who need to know about me, you say, well, they don't kind of look like me, they don't really smell like me, they don't really go where I go and do it, but Lord, you call me to love those sinners, I'm yours. I'll do it. He says to us, deny yourself. And so we say, Lord, I surrender. Here I am. When he says, give up your busyness, then we say, Lord, here's my calendar. When he says, give up your laziness, then you say, Lord, here's my couch. Right? Whatever it may be, whatever he calls you to do, I am completely abandoned to you, Lord. I yield my will to yours. I'm making sure of my abandonment. And so as a true disciple, listen, as a true disciple, I desire to passionately pursue the Lord's will in all things, not just the big decisions of life, but in all things. If I am taking my relationship to Christ seriously, then I want to do whatever he declares, whatever he desires, and whatever he demands. That's what I want to do. Whether that's easy or hard, whether that's comfortable or uncomfortable, whether that's sure or uncertain, whether it's logical or absolutely crazy in our, mind, in our minds, if he says to do it, we say when. We say how, we say where, we say what. Whatever you want, Lord, I am yours. Amen? I must yield my will to the will of Christ because he has authority over me. You know, you think about athletes today. Athletes illustrate what it means to truly believe in a person who is in authority. A high school basketball player, for example, who believes in his coach because that coach is a former NBA champion will do whatever that coach says for him to do. He believes the coach is right. And so if the coach says to change his technique in his shooting motion, then he will do it even if he feels awkward and initially it causes him to shoot worse. If the coach says to him to run four miles a day or to lift weights 30 minutes each day, then he will do it even though it is painful for him to do these things. If the coach says to pass the ball more and shoot less for the sake of the team, well, he will accept that role too. Well, why will an athlete do that? It's because the athlete believes the coach knows better than he does as to what makes a winner. And when you truly, listen, and when you truly believe in a person who is an authority, you follow that person in complete obedience. The athlete who does not truly believe in the coach will not fully follow. Now, he may believe things about the coach. He may believe and know that he is a former NBA champion, that he's honest, that his name is Michael. 
But believing certain information and believing in someone's authority are two different things. Those who believe in Jesus not only believe the facts about his deity and about his atoning work on the cross and the resurrection, but they also believe, listen, they also believe in his right to direct their lives and that that direction is right. Amen? True believers follow Jesus as genuine disciples. He says, make sure of your affections, make sure of your all-in, make sure of your abandonment, and then make sure of your assessment. And verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, Salt is good, but if the salt's lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. Men throw it out. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. So being a true disciple, you're expected to be salty in the world. That's not saying you're to be an old salt. No, that's not it at all. You're to be salty. So what does that mean? That means that you're seasoning your world with what it looks like for, to follow Jesus. Salt gives flavor to things, but most of all, it, salt makes people thirsty. I don't know if you ever had a, a piece of chicken or, or a bowl of beans or something that's had too much salt in it. You don't want to tell your wife that's a little bit too salty, so you'll say, Hey, could you? I need a little more water there, honey. Do you mind? Makes us thirsty, which, by the way, has never happened in our house, okay? Just want you to Salt gives flavor. It makes people thirsty. So listen. With our, listen, so we are to be salty in this world with our actions, with our conduct, with our character. We are to make people thirsty for the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he alone offers. People to see in us and hear in us something that makes them thirsty for whatever it is that you have and point them to Jesus Christ, to be salty. Jesus says to be a sh- make sure of your assessment in your life. Look at your life. Are you flavoring the world? Are we being different from the world in the words in which we use? Are we being different from the world in our actions toward other people? How we treat others? How generous we are? Whom we reach out to? Whom we're most concerned about? He said, make sure of your assessment. What does your life look like? You see, as a disciple, I am representing Jesus to a world in need. You're to represent Jesus to the world that's in need. You see, but I'm afraid that too many Christians today blend into the world and avoid the cost of being different as believers because it costs too much. It costs too much. What will people think? What will people say? Who cares what they say? Who cares what they think? Amen? Be salt in the world that needs to be seasoned with what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is saying that to lose that distinctiveness, to be salty, is to become worthless as a disciple. So, let's sum it up here. Here's the hard truth about what Jesus is saying about being a true disciple and the cost. He said, if you, he said, if you love this world more than you love him... If you are only half-hearted in your walk with Christ, if you have not completely surrendered every area of your life to Christ, and if you're not living that out daily in the world as being salty, salty, then you lack the very essence of what it means to be a disciple, and maybe even not a disciple at all. Beloved, listen. Maybe you've walked the aisle or, or said a prayer, but that pretty much has been the extent of your decision in your life. If you've trusted Christ by faith to save you, then count the cost and do what he desires and what he demands. Being a disciple, listen, 
Being a disciple is more than a one-time decision. It is a relationship that lasts a lifetime and it continues forever. If you do not love him above all else, if you are not all in with him, completely surrendered to him, then we are useless to Christ as his disciples. That's what he says. So, pastor, man, that's harsh. That's a pretty big cost. Everything, that's a pretty big cost. So, why would I want to choose this cost? Why would I want to yield my will to someone else? Why would I desire to give my all to following this Jesus? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because this Jesus, third point, is the marvelous Savior. He's the marvelous Savior. I mean, let's just look at what he's doing here. As Jesus is speaking these words to this multitude, do you know where Jesus is headed? He's headed to Jerusalem. Headed that way for the cross. He's on his way to the cross. You see, Jesus does not ask us to do anything for him that he has not already done for us. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, he says for us to love him. But, oh, beloved, he has loved us already. The Bible says in John 15, 13, Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. The Bible tells in Ephesians 5, 2, To walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He has loved us, and we love him because he first loved us. Not only that, but he tells us that we are to take up the cross. Take up your cross, he says. But friends, we need to know that he also bore his cross for us as well. In Galatians 3.13, it tells us, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And our Savior, the marvelous Savior, hung on a cursed tree called the cross for you and for me. He counted the cost. He gave himself for us. In Colossians 1.21 and following, it says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, completely against God, against Christ, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You see, Jesus counted the cost and he gave himself for you and for me. He says to us that we need to forsake all. And beloved, he has abandoned all for us. And he left the splendor of heaven. He lived a sinless life on this earth, dealing with what he had to deal with. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Brothers and sisters, he is the marvelous Savior. He is the marvelous Savior. And I want to make sure of my affection. I want to make sure of my all-in. I want to make sure of my abandonment. I want to make sure of my assessment. Yes, the cost is everything. But he is so worth it. Amen? He is so worth it. We think that we're giving up when we give up everything. But in reality, we're gaining everything in Christ Jesus. We gained through him. Two years ago, on the third Sunday in September, I stood before you for the very first time to preach a message. You weren't so sure about me that day, and I wasn't so sure about you either. But we were all very sure that Jesus knew what was happening. Amen? And at the end, I preached the message on the expectations of a disciple. And at the end of that message, I read a 
something that an old African pastor had read years ago about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Those words are just as true today as they were two years ago, and they were when this man first spoke them. So I'm going to read them again. He said, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of His. I will not look back or let up or slow down or back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense and my future is secure. I am finished and I am done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence. I no longer need prosperity or position or promotions or plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be tops. I don't have to be recognized or praised or regarded or rewarded. For I now live by His presence. I lean by faith. I love by patience. I lift by prayer. And I labor by power. He says, My face is set. My goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, I cannot be compromised, I cannot be detoured or detoured or lured away or turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. He says, I won't give up or shut up or let up or burn up until I have preached up and prayed up and paid up and stored up and stayed up for the cause of Christ. For I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes. I must give until I drop and I must preach until everyone knows. And then when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me for my banner will be clear that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, count the cost. Does it cost? Yes. It costs to be a disciple of Jesus. It costs us everything. But he is worth it. He is worth it today. He was worth it yesterday, he's worth it tomorrow, and he is worth it forever. Now, since we're in Discipleship University, you have assignments, remember? All three are no, be, and do. And here's the first one, no. What do you need to know? You need to know that we're not there yet. That discipleship is a journey. There will be those days when we don't keep him first. There will be those days when we don't love him with all of our heart. There will be those days when we say, Lord, here's my plan, now bless it. Right? But because of his marvelous grace, we will constantly be striving and growing and following and desiring that kind of relationship that yields everything to him. Discipleship is a journey. Amen? That's what you need to know. What do you need to be? You need to be salty. Be salty, flavoring 
the world. Salty that flavors the world with Jesus. That they are thirsty for what you have. And the words in which you say, your actions and your reactions, be salty. And then thirdly, do. Do love him above all else. Love him above all else. Now, how do I do that, Pastor? How do I love him above all else? Don't put your Bibles away yet. Hang on. Just hang on. All right? This is how you love him above all else. You love him above all else as you remember, remember the price that he has paid for you. Remember, listen, who you were. You remember who he is. And you remember what he has done. And you think about who you are now because of what he's done in your life. Friends, when you remember that every day, you begin to love him more and more and more. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am not worthy of his grace. I'm not worthy of his love. But Jesus has loved me and changed my life. How about you? Amen? Amen. Love him more and more, above all else. If you don't know this, Jesus, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ, embracing that he is God's son who died on the cross and rose again bodily for you, trusting him by faith, making him the Lord of your life. Count the cost. And follow Jesus, and you will not regret it. Now or when we see him face to face. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'd be with us. As we come to this time of invitation, Lord, we want you to have your way in our hearts and our lives, that we come to make decisions of commitment. To say, Lord, I surrender my all to you. To remember the cross and all that you did for us there on the cross of Calvary. I pray, Father, that you'd be with those today who maybe have never trusted Christ as their Savior, that this would be that moment of salvation. They'd come and take Pastor Joe or myself by the hand and let us pray with them and help them through the process. Lord, to just say yes to Jesus. Father, also we pray that you'd be with us who have claimed to be followers of Jesus, but when we look at our own lives, we wonder if there really has been a true discipleship there. Have we... And as we seek to make sure of our affections and make sure of our all-in and make sure of our abandonment and make sure of our assessment, oftentimes we find that we are lacking. Lord, give us that place in our life today where we will recommit our hearts to you and say, yes, Lord, all that I am, all that I have, all that I desire to be, all that is now yours. I yield my will to you and I abandon my life into your hands. Use me. My yes is on the table. My life is a blank check. Lord, I want to be yours. So, Lord, may you speak to our hearts. Whatever you're dealing with us about, Lord, may we yield that to you today. And we pray that you receive the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Joe's here. I'll be here. We'll be glad to pray with you. If you need to come and pray silently here at the the altar, it's open for you. But we'll stand as we sing at the cross. You come.